from Social Service International, I'm Jing Yao. This episode is the second of a two-part series covering grown-ups and their contributions in Singapore. If you have not heard the first part about the emergence and impact of grown-ups, be sure to listen to that before coming back to this. With Jenko of the Majority Trust and Dr. Adrian Chan of Acer Pacer Consulting, we previously discussed the value of startups, the emergence of new activators, and the challenges of funding, time, and contacts. Today, we finish up our conversation on funding before exploring recommendations and the building of synchronicity among ground-ups and communities of ground-up communities. As a reminder, Jen is part of the philanthropy and community building team at the Majority Trust. Dr. Chan is an independent scientist practitioner and the director of Acer Pacer Consulting. And so for Asian, we, we talked about, we're coming back to Asian because we talked about two findings and the last key final finding, which kind of ties in quite nicely with what you shared about time and development is continuation, right? So I quote the final finding from the report. Most people surveyed plan to continue the work they have embarked on, but more existing activators with prior experience do compared to new activators. So what were the reasons for non-continuation for folks to not continue with their initiatives? Mm. Well, I can perhaps very broadly summarize into three, three P's. The first one is purpose. You know, some of these ground-ups are set up for very specific purpose, given their bandwidth, expectations, and the needs that they are triggered by. And once these, once the purpose has been achieved, they're just happy to just uh, call it a day, you know, go for a celebration with their friends and maybe pay back a bit to the, the ones they've called on who have volunteered so much of their own time and be done with it. And that's it. Another reason could be place. There is a place for grown-ups to be quick to start, quick to plug in, quick to dismantle and move on. And th- if this is the modus operandi, some of the grown-ups are happy to plug in in this way, you know, call me when there's another need, I'll I'll come in and do something. But once this need is over, I am happy to dismantle. And the reason why they are happy to do this, this is where it gets a bit tricky. Part of it is where Kate comes in, where Jen is saying, you know, some of them are considering whether the third thing, paradigm shift can occur. Is it possible for me to be a full-time activator, you know, and have my livelihood at the same time? This is a huge paradigm shift for some of them, and it, it takes a while to explore. For other people, it could be that I'm not sure what is it I want to do. Do I want to do more of the same thing? In other words, scale in terms of numbers, uh, in terms of more people to reach out to or whatever? Or do I want to move up the value chain? In which case, do I still operate as a grounder or do I join an NGO or a government body? So all these are various paradigm shifts associated and some people are just not ready to, to take the next step. And I guess a related question on, on this final finding would be what factors were associated or correlated with continuation? Or another way of asking this question is how do we get people or encourage folks to continue with their initiatives of their movements among ground-ups? Yeah, I would say that, you know, the little research that we've done makes us recognize that it's, it's a very varied journey and different people have different considerations. Uh, it's definitely an area for future research because there are many things to, to consider. It could be an inspiration thing. They might get inspired with a new need. And if they are nurtured well, then these people will respond to the new need 
with a leap of faith, even if they don't know much or don't feel confident, like what Jen was saying, she didn't feel confident, but they go in with a leap of faith and just try and see what happens. Or it could be that some of these people can be encouraged to try for a season to wrestle with the notion of, I can do good while having a livelihood. I can do good while in my job. And it's a good wrestling because this becomes a conversation with employers. How do you holistically introduce an underlying P, which is purpose, to the other notions of profit you know, in, in, in daily work? You know? and, and that's a conversation worth having with their employers. And maybe they can be encouraged to, to, to try this out for a season with partnerships from employers coming in. And, and see where it goes, because some will take the plunge, some will not. At this point in time, I just don't know enough from the current research we've done to tell you who will and who will not. And of course, with that eye on the future, the study also documented some recommendations, and I also want to take them in turn. I think there were four, but um, we can take them in turn. So the first, I quote, you know, continue existing grant models that provide a small funding quantum but quick turnaround time with a selection process that prioritizes project proposal over track record. So how would that look like post-COVID-19 and post-SG Strong? Yeah, Jen, you can jump in also, but uh, I'll say each grant, like what Jen is describing, you know, treat, the, treat the grant as an opportunity for, for discovery. Discover what is the problem on the ground. Is the presenting problem symptomatic that we should address? or is the presenting problem underlying a more systemic cause that we should discover further, right? Uh, the second one is treated as a discussion, you know, between the people who are in the midst of the problem and the people who we think can benefit from the problem. You know, I think co-creation, although it's been so overused, but there's nothing like empowerment, hearing from those who, need it, who have their need, right? To see what solutions they have in mind. So, so treat each grant as an opportunity for discussion amongst these various people. And finally, treat each grant as an opportunity for demonstrating baby steps. I think that's the, the, the third D that we should get to because when you get your hands dirty, when you have baby steps, then there's movement. And if, if this problem is indeed a, a, what academics call a wicked problem, then the solution to wicked problems is continued attention, continued effort, in order to shift the space and, and uh, what continue to, to make the, the conditions even, even more conducive. You know, the, the military has a term, you know, if you don't know what the enemy is out there, you fire a few shots in the general direction and see who pops out of the bushes. <laughs> I call it wrecking by fire, right? Yeah. In the same way, right? In the same way, uh, if you're dealing with wicked problems, you do have to take the baby steps so that the problem start to present itself clearer. Yeah. So the three Ds are discovery, discussion, and administration. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, following on from what Adrian said, we had Adrian speak at a fireside chat that we had recently. I remember one of the things he mentioned was that starting is already winning. So for us as funders, like he said, you know, just kind of fire and spray. And, and it's really about discovering potential new solutions that are innovative, that, you know, seek to look at the problem in a different way, frame it differently, to try and find different approaches to solving the same problems on the ground. Oftentimes, these problems can be, has been there for a long time. And um, existing solutions, you know, are 
successful in having a crack at solving part of it. But there's always people that fall through the cracks. There's always yeah different communities that fall through the cracks. And I think like a, a f- actually strong in the ground up community seeks to 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 bridge that role where these small little projects that have small funding quantums actually support very small and sometimes maybe I won't say isolated but very very niche areas right. And continually funding these actually help us to 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 support more who fall through the cracks, and and so we see actually strong, almost like a movement, not so much like a fund, a movement where we try and support this community of change makers to continually, you know, spread this. As a ground up founder myself, I, I like to think of it as an infectious, not disease, but this, it's a very infectious uh, spirit. <laughs> um, when you continually <laughs> spread this right amongst your friends, and it's a bit of a hotel California situation, but. Just continue spreading this and, and, and the more we share about the work that we do, the more we inspire others to do the same. And I think everybody brings their own perspective and their own you know, innovative ideas onto how um, certain problems can be solved. But to continually fund these like, ideas that, that are seeded. And, and that's the kind of the way forward, forward in terms of how we can keep the sector vibrant as well and how we can inject some vibrancy like, into certain spaces that you know, people might otherwise sometimes be a bit discouraged because the problem has existed for a long time. Mm-hmm. And in thinking about funding, of course, besides the ground-ups themselves, the funders are important. And of course, the second recommendation led and then reads directly to this interaction between ground-ups and funders. And it reads, and I quote, supplement financial support with programs or events that are designed for structured introductions between corporate funders, whether business or nonprofit, and ground-up leaders. So I guess the question here is how What's the interest among corporate funders? And could you give us some examples of how these forms or these types of introductions can look like between ground-ups and funders? Yeah, I think I'll share from both perspectives, both um, in Running Hopeful and on the TMT side. So on the Hopeful side, we've actually, you know, even as a ground-up, and this is, was very surprising to me when I, when I first started doing this, even as a ground-up, we actually have now more than 10 corporate funders who reached, some reached out to us, you know, completely cold. Some was, was introduced by, by, by different people that we know who wanted to support us, not just in terms of funds, but also in, in, in giving items in kind and in, you know, facilitating experiences or having their employers come and, and, and volunteer with us. Because a lot of corporates have, you know, volunteer days and, and, and stuff. And I think it's, it's, it was really interesting like the question that you asked was how these introductions might look like is really interesting as a, I don't know, I, I, just, I guess I just never really expected it. I thought it was going to be a lot more structured, um, but a lot of this is very informal. Sometimes we receive a cold email and then, and then we have a Zoom call and I don't know, like through the Zoom call, somehow they trust me and then, you know, they send things over. <laughs> so I think it's really about like once th- there is synergy between, you know, what the corporates want and what we want to do in terms of cause, in terms of even logistics, when times match, when there's synergy, then these, these introductions usually can lead to a project being done together. And that's kind of also on the, you know, wearing my TMT hat now, that's also kind of what we see. So we do see quite an increased interest from corporate funders to be involved in the ground-up space, mostly because we tend to think of it as when you give to the ground-up space, things not only move, I won't say things move faster, but it's, there's a lot more scaling that can happen. So, you know, we partner with a local firm actually to facilitate a corporate volunteering program that mimics SG Strong. So this firm wanted to encourage employees to take a ground-up approach to their volunteering and to 
to form their own teams, to find their own ideas, to find their own community partners. And then that, and some of them actually work alongside some of our community partners from SG Strong. And through that, they also provided very crucial funds, small amounts, but these small amounts mean a lot to groundups, right? And then so they help these, these projects scale and, and, and then they can achieve greater impact. So you can think of it as like, I guess for this firm and for, for corporates increasingly, they're seeing like, you know, by dropping this pebble, the ripple effects actually, I won't say larger, but it's a bit different for ground ups. So I think this is an example of how, you know, corporate funding and volunteerism can actually really move the needle in the ground up space and in the sector in general. And it's taking that ground up approach, right? Encouraging, you know, like what Adrian said earlier about finding purpose. And it's not just, you know, just engaging in a, in a corporate uh, volunteering day out, but thinking about themselves, like how can they support their local community and then having the company actually support their ideas and their, um, their initiative. Yeah, so I think it's, it's been really encouraging actually or inspiring to see that uh, both from both of my experiences. I, I was just going to say from the company's perspective, right? Sometimes they come with a few approaches. Some of them very altruistic and very general. They say, okay, what's the scene out there? What's the best way that I can help? And then boom, this is where you help to help them to connect the dots and point them in the right directions for greatest needs and all that. Sometimes companies come and say, oh, I've got this amount of resource, this amount of time, or this group of people. With this in mind, how can I help? So it's a bit more structured, right? And again, that, that advisory can be made, you know, to help join the dots and, and make the, do the matchmaking. But sometimes the companies also come in with saying that, oh, I, I think it's a good thing to help, but maybe my company, either structure, culture, is, or mindset is not ready. Is there a way that I can help so that it also helps my company in turn, right, to, to change things? And again, it's that kind of matchmaking interaction that can occur. So I think all in all, like, like what Jen is saying, like, there, is, there is a role for this kind of uh, helping people join the dots, matchmaking, you call it consultancy or whatever, but it actually comes when somebody is actively sponsoring these journeys on the ground and then you're just synthesizing or, or, or coalescing what these journeys look like. Then you have a ready database to, to do all these kind of matchmaking. I mean, the common thread is this development of synchronicity, matchmaking, coordination. And I mean, to me, the third recommendation reads quite similar too, because the third recommendation, I quote, facilitate peer-to-peer -peer knowledge sharing and community building among all activators, such as via an online platform. I guess the question here is, at a more meta level, how do we coordinate among other, other communities? Right? I'm thinking you know, MVPC, a good space, and all these different intermediaries that are working in the same space. So how do we foster such knowledge sharing and community building? I think this is more from a very, very micro level. When, when activators are very focused in their mission, right? I want to help this group of people. They go hyper-local. They go very, very tunnel vision in, okay, that's my mission objective. And sometimes they forget that there is a larger community that they can potentially explore. Right. I, I think this is just a slight nudge to, to see whether people who are operating in related spaces can come together and do... Because the natural mindset is, I've got this number of things to, to get done by a certain time. 
there's no headspace for them to, to think collaborative. It's very, very operational. So I think where there's a bit of help available to do this kind of uh, take two steps back and see whether there's other people around you who can work together and then negotiate how they're working together is. You know, it's, it's not a zero-sum game. You help me do my bags, huh? otherwise I'm not your partner. It can be, help me do my bags and we can help each other at the same time. Yeah, so that kind of conversation needs to occur. Yeah, and I think like based on this, uh, you know, uh, recommendation, we took it very seriously. We set up an online platform <laughs> for the different groups to come together. And, and I think it's, you know, we've, we've had the group for a few months now and it's, uh, it's been really encouraging lot to see, you know, just, just yesterday, a couple of days ago, we had one group who said, oh, I have leftover resources from this. Would anyone like to take it up? You know, another group took it up, but say, oh, I don't have transport. So then another group said, oh, we can provide that transport. Right. So it's really about this coming together and collaborating and offering help and services in whatever uh, way or form. But especially in terms of the knowledge sharing, right? So we've also had the group utilize this platform to, to talk about issues, talk about what they might be struggling with, or talk about, you know, you know, when, when the heightened measures come up, we can, you know, send a message and say, hey, how's everyone doing? And then people share what they see on the ground. And then that encourages other people to, in their own hyper-local communities, go and, you know, check, check on certain things. And so it's really, the platform is, you know, it's, it's not just this, you know, information dissemination or sharing about events or sharing about, you know, resources, but it's really about fostering community, right? That's kind of community in its, in its truest sense where people support one another. And a lot of times, you know, because of the times that we live in also, this community has never met in person. But yet, you know, we see an incredible amount of collaboration where everyone wants to give. I think, you know, Asian mentioned earlier, so it's a self-selecting group. So it's a, it's a group of quite giving people. <laughs> so nobody really looks at what they can get in return, right? It's, it's a very not selfish, a very unselfish endeavor. And it's really about how can we support not just my group, but how can my group also support yours, right? We had one of the grantee partners who, who works out of the West of Singapore and say, oh, we actually have funding available and we, we have a like registered organization that can facilitate some, some of these initiatives or facilitate some of these maybe more legal side of things for other groups if you'd like, come and speak with me, you know? So it's really not just about, you know, sharing resources in terms of physical things, but it's sharing knowledge and sharing their experiences too and, and having everyone feel like they're supported in this time. Yeah. So and I think, you know, in, in relation to your question with, you know, bodies like Good Space and NDPC, yeah, yeah, we're it's really about all coming together to facilitate a thriving ground up ecosystem. Right. I think each organization really wants to have the the, the ground up ecosystem be be one that activators can feel supported in starting and be more confident and to have resources at their disposal. So for each organization, it's really tapping on each of our own strengths and, and where we sit in the ecosystem and then being able to come together to, to build that community together. And I think over this past year, from 2020 to now, like the ecosystem has, has grown quite a lot with you know, 150 of ground-up projects started and how we can continue sustaining this, maybe not growth in terms of number of projects, but growth in terms of the projects themselves, but also the people and how they're more ready and more, there's more capacity and more uh, confidence even in, in, in helping their local communities. I think that's the most crucial part. Yeah. 
And I know I've held both of you against your will for a, a long enough time, but a final question when relating to a final recommendation would be facilitating connections with grassroots organizations to increase marketing efforts via more localized offline meets. I know we're still in the middle of COVID and you know online measures have been necessitated because of the pandemic, but what in both your opinions are some of these grassroots bodies and to what degree have these connections been effective with um, grassroots organizations? I'll start this off first. I'll say that there's so much information out there and yet there is at the same time not enough information going to certain groups of people. For example, you talk about the elderly, right? Uh, they have no access to uh, whatever online info you put on, you put on the social media, could be, or, or certain disadvantaged groups that may know some of this information but don't know how to apply. So when you talk about this point, you are really talking about the relationship networks that people are embedded in. And each of these ground-ups have got their own beautiful networks, relationships. And how do we equalize information or, or make use of these networks to, to pump information to one another? So case in point, right? Let's say there's a ground-up that is uh, distributing tops to, to people. Right. Initial starting point is, oh, it's to be issued to home-based kids, kids in home-based learning environments. But then the, another ground-up could say, oh, yes, look, I've got a yellow ribbon project guy, you know, he doesn't speak English, only speaks Hokkien, but he also needs a laptop, doesn't really qualify as a home-based learner, but also needs a laptop. So again, this is where the, the networks and the relationships come in. And you realize that the at the heart of all these ground-ups, right, it's about how uh, when we are taking care of our flock, so to speak, right, we are also having an eye out to other people who are looking out on their own flocks to see whether the, the needs match up. And also to, to see whether the information that I have received may benefit somebody else's flock. So we are playing that kind of connector role like, in a very relationship network-based kind of way. Yeah, completely agree. I think like when I see localized offline means, I'm reminded of the times we spend door knocking through hundreds of locks. Because <laughs> yeah, that's really the best. That's really the best way actually to reach um, a lot of these communities and to even know you know of elderly in uh, elderlies in isolation, for example. I think that's a target group that is very hard to reach. But I think like a lot of these grassroots bodies go beyond what we traditionally term as grassroots, right? So one of the projects that we supported through SG Strong is this new initiative called Kampong Kapis, right? So they have more than a thousand volunteers, they have more than 500 beneficiaries from isolated elderly to, to low-income families to anyone really who, who wants help in some way or shape or form. And I think like it's this being able to use online means to reach out to a group of people who have access, like Adrian said, or have this network in these communities where they might not be online and a lot more localized, and then being able to pass information down. So Kamokakis has been very, very critical in, in supporting an information dissemination, but also, oh, this, this elderly needs someone to bring her to the polyclinic, or this elderly needs someone to bring her food, or um, she had a fall, for example, someone needs to help. Then you are able to activate a, a network of of volunteers or people who can go and help, right? So it's, it's really being able to connect the dots. It's kind of like last mile delivery, right? Like you, you can't just deliver it to this network. You, can, you have to go down, right down to that last 
probably 10 meters. <laughs> so that's where we really see like the connections with the grassroots bodies really, really are, are very critical in, in a lot of the work that we do with local vulnerable communities. Yeah. It can be as simple as a notice board at the HDB block downstairs, you know, to facilitate this kind of info flow. Simple, yeah, simple very solution. low tech, we give up like yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. and- I mean, on that note, thank you both so much. I know Adrian is a little bit under the weather, but thank you for taking time to speak with us for the past, I think, an hour. Thank you both for the work that you do, for the research work, for the groundwork that you do. And thank you, most importantly, for fostering these conversations and creating and fostering these communities of communities. So really glad to have spoken to the both of you and really looking forward to the work that you do in the future too. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for starting this conversation even. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's very important. I'm just latching upon the one that you've created. <laughs> so I'm piggybacking off on it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye.